0: Well, it's such a joy to be be back with you. I was able to um, bring a, a couple of my, my kids uh, with me this time. Uh, Zach is over here. He's a football player. He was able to um, serve the kids and, and work a station with, uh, with Pastor Peterson. Where is Ryan? Where'd he go? Is he still in here? Over there, yeah. So Ryan and uh, Zach worked uh, the receiver station. Ryan's got a good arm. He's a good athlete. So I, I was excited to see him. Uh, serving in in that way, and then uh, Tess, who's Madeline's buddy, and uh, she always makes the makes the trip with me. Uh, kids are getting older, uh, graduating one in June, so uh, getting close to my wife being able to to travel with me, and so we're we're looking forward to that. And the clinic was a great success. You know, we we've been doing them in Oregon for the last six years, and uh, we're doing football, basketball, and baseball in Oregon, and and. As you've, as you've heard me talk about the ministry in the past, it's, it, the ministry is, is about the gospel. We use sports as a medium to advance the gospel, to see, to see lives changed, and, and the ultimate goal is, is really to have those eyeball-to-eyeball conversations about Christ and, and to challenge people, whether it be a coach or, or a player, a parent, uh, someone associated with the ministry. I get plenty of opportunities and I'm very thankful for those those one-on-one opportunities to, to share um, to share the gospel, to share Christ with people. The clinics um, are more of a uh, kind of a, the shotgun approach to evangelism. You know, preached to 100, 100 kids uh, yesterday and parents are there and their coaches. So we don't uh, require all coaches to be Christians because we want them to hear the gospel as well. And so it's a great opportunity, as just said, to um, uh to plant those seeds, or as Ryan prayed, to plant those, those seeds. And that's really what it's about. And and I know Bonnie Lake's a little bit over there, and, and it's, it's neat because we want to be tied into the local church. And so Redemption um, came up with a plan to have a follow-up event for the kids. They're going to have a youth event. Uh, I think it's going to be a barbecue. And so a lot of the kids were excited to, to go to that. The parents uh, were being, uh, they were meeting a lot of the, the church members and so we're trying to, to make those connections, those relationships. And it's fantastic to be able to do that over sports. We feed everyone pizza at the end. So there's a there's a time to be able to, to interact. But we want to be able to give you guys a chance to be to be more involved in the future. And that's why we're talking about doing a basketball clinic over this direction. And that would be for boys and girls uh, 18 to 14. So it's great opportunity. So stay tuned for, for more information on that. If you wouldn't mind uh, turning uh, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine, that's where we're gonna be this morning. We're gonna be looking from, looking at verses uh, 35 um, through uh, chapter 10 verse, verse one. Now uh, Matthew's a, a very well laid out gospel as, as they all are and I appreciate uh, the thrust of, of Matthew's gospel and the fact that he's setting forth Jesus as, as king. And he wants to, to to show his authority, demonstrate his his authority um, throughout, and we see that really from the beginning, when he lays out the the genealogy, the the royal line, he he goes through uh, through Joseph, and and to to really to understand again, this is the, the the king that we've been been waiting for, and then also in chapter one there in Matthew, we we learn about this king and the fact that in verse twenty one that he is. He is here to save his people f- from their sins, and so he's on he's on mission. And we get into the, the chapter two, and then we start seeing all those fulfilled prophecies around his his birth. We see the, the the fact that he would be born in you know in Bethlehem that's that's fulfilled. We know that he's the the flight to Egypt uh, to spare his life from from Herod, and then there's the killing of the of the of the children at the the hand of Herod, and so. Uh, again, the king has arrived and, and now we're validating this. We're, we're showing the fact that he is the one because of all these prophecies that are being fulfilled. And then if you're gonna have a king, what, is, what does a king usually have go before him? Or a president, he has a, has a forerunner, right? And Jesus has a forerunner um, and that in, in the form of, of John the Baptist. And of course we know that John uh, eventually baptizes him fulfill uh, fill all, all righteousness, and, and then we see Jesus go out into the, into the desert and, and be tempted and, and not sin, and so we learn more about his authority, that he is indeed God. He's not gonna fall into temptation. He's gonna live a, a perfect life. We see the beginning of Jesus's ministry start. We see him calling his disciples, bringing these men in to, to train up to be able to eventually go out into the world, Jesus starts to preach, he starts to preach to proclaim the gospel, uh, very much part of his ministry, very much an example to all of us. Uh, get into chapter five, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, there's couple chapters there, beautiful, beautiful sermon he preaches. We see him healing, we see him casting out demons, and Jesus is in, in full ministry mode at this point. But it's interesting as we get into chapter nine, now we see a transition take place. We see a transition take place where Jesus is now going to prepare his disciples for ministry. We see him uh, to, to get them ready to be able to go out and to start to minister. In fact, let's go ahead and, and read verses uh, 35. I'll, I'll just read 35 through 38. We'll tackle uh, verse one in chapter 10 at the, at the end. But uh, starting in verse five, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So Jesus, we're gonna see here, we're gonna see three points. We're gonna see the model of ministry that he's, he's giving these men. We're gonna see the motive of ministry, why you do ministry in the, in the first place, and then the solution for the shortfall of gospel workers. You know, the bottom line here that we need to understand, especially in the Northwest, is that, is that we have a shortage of gospel workers. And Jesus is is challenging these men that no more watching. It, it, it's time for you to, to, to get into the game. No more sitting on the sidelines. No more dependence on someone else to do the work. That's rampant in the in the church today. Dependence on someone else to do the work. And and these disciples, you know, are are gonna be faced very soon with the reality of Jesus not being there to depend on and do the work. I, I love the book of Acts. The book of Acts is my, my favorite book of the whole Bible, and, and in, in chapter one, Jesus has been, you know, he's died, he's, he's rose from the grave, and he's appearing to, to the disciples, and he's, he's, he's speaking with them. He's giving kind of final instructions. And then you get down to uh, verse nine of chapter one, well he's what we learned. We learned we learn about his ascension, right? He ascends back to the Father and and the disciples are there kinda of looking. And then the angels come and say, Hey, just the same way that he departed, he will return. But there's a lot of there's a lot of things to think about in the white spaces of the verses that's going on there. It's the reality that Jesus has fulfilled the, the plan of redemption on the cross. He has done his work, and now he's gone. And in Acts chapter two, he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes, the church church starts, and now it's their job to to do the work, to do the work of the ministry. You can't depend on on Jesus anymore uh, to do the work in, in front of your eyes. You guys are now the next one up to do your part of the plan of redemption, and that is gospel saturation. This is a very practical passage for us as far as the application for us today. Uh, Christians are not just to watch. It is not our job. It, nowhere in the Bible, I've read through it several times, nowhere in the Bible that says a, a pew sitting or, or or sitting in a seat in church is a ministry. It's not a ministry. That's not, that we're not to sit and just watch others uh, do, do the work. We're not to sit on the sidelines. We're not to let the others Other players play. We're we're to get in and do the work that the Lord has called us to do. But this happens all the time, and we know that. We understand that. Uh, We've got a lot of people sitting back, not uh, doing the things that the Lord has instructed us to do. And Jesus is gonna give us the solution here. And and so it's not gonna be, just so you know, it's not gonna be me here beating you up for 40 minutes on getting out to do the work. Jesus has has the solution for us, and it's a beautiful Beautiful solution of, of of going out and and doing the things that we were told to do. So let's begin and looking look at the model of ministry that that Jesus gives to disciples and gives to us. Now, of course, it's lived out perfectly in His life, so that these men could understand what ministry is all about. Look at verse thirty-five again. This. Three aspects of, of Jesus' ministry. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of, king, of the kingdom and healing every kind of sickness and disease. Now, this, the area in which Jesus was, was in was the, the, the region of, of Galilee. And there's some interesting facts about this. Uh, first of all, the area is about 40 miles wide and about 70 miles long. There's probably about three million people in about 200 cities and villages. Uh, cities, the, the way you tell the difference between a city and a village is that a uh, city had a wall. In villages, you could just you could just walk in. But there's about, about 200 of them. Now, Pastor Coulter, could you imagine pastoring an area 40 miles wide and 70 miles long with about three million people? That's a daunting task. But he went to every single city and village teaching and proclaiming the glorious gospel. Huge, huge task. And so there's these three, three aspects of what, of what he's doing. First is, it says that he was teaching in the synagogues. Synagogues, he was teaching in the synagogues. Every, every stop that he would have would have a place for him to go and to minister synagogues were the hub of the Jewish community at the time this would be after the the return of, of their exile and the synagogue literally means a an assembly, a place of, of worship they would carry on other type of things there uh, kind of their, their town hall but it would be but, the, but it would the primary function was of, of worship they would have praise they would have a song they would have a prayer they would have a scripture reading. Does that sound familiar? You know, it was very much of what, what we do today. And one of the traditions that they had was for a qualified person to read and interpret scripture. And so Jesus, like, like Peter, or excuse me, like Paul later on, took advantage of that privilege, and so this was a very key in them uh, in spreading the gospel. And I'm gonna give you an example of one of the times that, that Jesus did this. This is a very familiar uh, passage over in uh, Luke chapter four, if you wanted to turn there. Jesus has an opportunity to read and explain Isaiah 61. Kind of got him in a little bit of little bit of trouble as far as the way that people react reacted to him. But if you get to chapter four there in verse uh, 14, It says, and Jesus returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, the news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district, and began teaching in the synagogues, and was praised by all, until he gets to Nazareth, right? And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and and it was the custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and stood up and read, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and found the place where it was written, this is Isaiah 61 The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and recovery and the recovery of the sight of the blind and set those who are free excuse me and to set those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and he stood and he closed the book gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, typically, I get very upset when someone tries to read themselves in the scripture, but when you're reading about yourself, in Jesus' case, it's, it's very appropriate. And so he is, he is reading about himself, and then he's telling them, Today the scripture is fulfilled. I am here. I am here. Now, did it, did it go well there in Nazareth for him? No, it did not. But, but this is just an example of uh, the opportunity that he was taking to be able to read and to explain scripture. Now, by reading and interpreting scripture, Jesus was teaching the disciples the importance of, of, of expository preaching, expository, uh, ex, 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 doing expository preaching to the people so that they would grow and that they would learn about God, that they would learn doctrine. And it took the disciples took that and, and ran with it. We go back to Acts, uh, chapter two, after the 3,000 come to faith, it says that the people came together and they were learning the apostles' teaching, which of course is Christ's teaching, and they're following this model of, of reading and explaining the scriptures to them, teaching these people that have recently come to faith. And it's been the, it was the pattern of the church. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. I was just in Pastor Coulter's uh, office, and on his board, number one, teaching and preaching. That is is ministry 101. That is the job of of a preacher to, to faithfully read the text and explain the text so that the body of Christ can be built up and encouraged and understand who God is. It's also what the world needs. Now, our culture 50 years ago uh, had a better concept of, of who God is. Today the world is confused. Needs someone to explain to him to them who, who God is. Yesterday, my message to the to the youth kids were was four points about Jesus: that he's creator, that he live personally on this earth, that he died for our sins and he rose from the grave. I did that very strategically. I wanted them to learn something about Jesus. Now unfortunately, and this is what we have to fight against, especially in the Northwest, and I'm glad you guys are in a place where the word of God is faithfully preached, but what we fight against in the Northwest is is more the, the church growth model, right? Get the rock and roll band up here, get the charismatic speaker, Maybe he's got some tattoos, I don't know. He looks, he looks cool. We do everything to, to try to attract people so that we can count nickels and noses. That's not ministry. That's just, that's just trying to build a church where Christ said in Matthew 18, he said, I will build my church. Why do his job? I don't want Jesus' job. Jesus can do his job a lot better than me, right? Amen? So why, do we, why is a church in the Northwest Why would any church in the Northwest, why would church anywhere in the world want to do Jesus' job? Our job is to be faithful to open the word of God and teach it, explain it. You gotta be faithful on that. The second thing Jesus did, it said there back to verse, verse 35, he says not only was he teaching, but he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was out doing evangelism. Because this word proclaiming is, to, to, is the herald, to make a, a public announcement. Uh, in, in Romans 10, 17, it says, how will they know, or excuse me, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. So you gotta be able to, to, people gotta come to faith, they gotta hear the gospel first. And in, in verse 14 of, of Romans, chapter 10, it says, how will they know without a preacher? This herald, and we're all heralds. It's not the paid professional guy. We're all, as Christians, we are to herald the message of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was out proclaiming. Where did he do it? Everywhere. Wherever he went, he preached about the kingdom. And he was bold in it. In chapter four of Matthew, verse 17, it's the fact he, he adds the word repent Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sinful behavior and get right with God. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we all look forward to the future kingdom, right? We all look for amen? We all look forward to that. But you know what? There's a a kingdom here right now, right? What, What is that? Well, the the kingdom that is going on right now is a spiritual kingdom where born-again believers enjoy this lifetime on earth of knowing Christ. Bottom line is he's reigning through us, right? That's the kingdom that we experience here on earth. But of course, we're looking forward to, to that future kingdom. But what a joy, what a joy right now to allow Christ to reign and to live through us, being his, as I say, they say, that his hands and feet here on earth, doing that work before he comes back. We're to be an active, active church. Now, again, here's, here's the rub. You know, with, with teaching, we know that a lot of times churches want to adopt other methods to, to entertain, to tickle the ears. With evangelism, I've been at it a long time, and I'm just going to say this very bluntly: what I see a lot today is instead of evangelism with Christians, I see a per- pursuit of personal comfort. I want to I want to feel comfortable here on earth. I want to have a focus on myself and the things that that I like, the things that make me happy. And then and then there's a huge of avoidance of any conflict, and oftentimes I hear, "Well, I just I just live in a certain way, and and, and that'll be that I'll be light that way. I'll just I'll just live like Christ." Well, that's not the command. The command is to is to preach Jesus. And I think about this. I think being being with the heart the heart of evangelism that I'm have. I think about evangelism every day of my life, and I think about all the ins and outs, and 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 I think about other Christians and, and I think about you know, why we do it and why we don't do it and, and the, the, whole, the whole nine yards. But I, I, but I think about the fact that you know, we all have to stand before the Lord someday, right? Now there's gonna be a judgment seat for non-believers, but there's also gonna be a judgment for believers that we have to stand in front of the Lord and, and, and give an account for our lives. And I think that, that account should be in our minds much more fearful than stepping out and being bold and sharing, uh, sharing our faith with a person here on earth. I think I'm a lot more scared of the fear of the Lord than I am a fear of an individual. Should, shouldn't that be that way? Shouldn't that be a motivating thing? I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as opposed to, I gave you much and you didn't do much with it, right? So that, so there's there's, So we got this great example before us. We got this example of ministry that Jesus is giving to disciples. I love it, always have to have a Charles Spurgeon quote in a sermon, otherwise it's not a real sermon, right? So I got a a good one. He says, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees, imploring them to say, if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of, of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Amen? You know, I've had several great gospel encounters here, here recently and, and one of the questions I love to, to ask people is, uh, have you heard the gospel before? No, I, I haven't heard it. And then I get into talking about, okay, I wanna, I wanna share it with you. It's broken up in the... Going to my little spiel, broken up into four points, I, I talk about God first, character of God. And I say, do you know the first verse of the Bible? No. You don't know Genesis 1-1. No, you don't know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. I, I don't know that. And these one of the individuals, she was in her mid-30s. Another guy here recently was in his 40s. How, how do they get to that age and never Hear that, and it hurts me. It hurts my heart. We, we need to make sure that we, here in the Northwest, as a Northwest Christians and a Northwest church, that we, we saturate the land with the truth of the gospel. Like Charles, Charles Purgeon said, don't let anyone go unwarned or unprayed for. Complete, complete gospel saturation. Let me ask you some questions. First one is, and this is about, about teaching. Now, we're all not gonna have this type of teaching ministry. We may not have all have a Sunday school teaching ministry, but Hebrews says that we all ought to be teachers. In other words, a teacher is just simply somebody that knows a little bit more information than the next person, where we can communicate truth to them. Uh, doctrine matters, right? Teaching, that's what literally what teaching uh the, the teachings means it's, it's, it's doctrines about things that the Lord has established in Scripture, about the Church, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we can we can teach those to others. So so my question is: Is every Christian capable of teaching? Yes, yes, we all are. Are all spirit-filled uh, Christians able to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay, so I've set you up and you're gonna hate me for this third question, but here it is. It's my job to make you uncomfortable and, and I'm trying to do that. So my third question is, are all Christians teaching about God and proclaiming the gospel? No, so there's our problem and, and that's gonna work into our, our solution here in a little bit, but I wanted to first tackle the third aspect of, of Jesus's ministry and this is very, very important one and it's, it's gonna be actually very applicable to us, and you'll be. I think you might be a little bit surprised how it is, but it says that he was there healing every kind of disease and sickness. That's in verse 35. We obviously don't have the ability to, to heal and to, to uh, you know, heal every kind of sickness and disease, but Jesus did this in his power to accomplish a couple different things. The first was, it was to to validate his teaching and preaching ministry. Right? He's the coming, he's the coming king, he's the one with authority, and he's he's demonstrating that. And so he is he is taking advantage of that. And then what happens when he does that? Well, he gets the, the multitude start to follow him, right? And so he's got an audience to be able to, to preach truth to. But there's a second reason that I believe Jesus. Jesus healed, and this is a this is where it becomes very applicable to us, is that he did that to show love and care. Now, if you're going to be an effective minister, if you're going to to take the charge of teaching and preaching, and you lack love uh, and care for others, it's not you're not going to be a very effective minister. Those those have to be part of of what you do. And so, this was. When Jesus came this way, we need to know the fact that, that this was in sharp contrast of the religious leaders of the day, right? What were they there for? Well, they, they were there for themselves, right? They, they only cared about uh, their, their authority. They only cared about uh, being able to have positions of power. That's not, not how you minister, you minister as a, as a servant. But, I, but I, here's but here's where it becomes applicable to us. Jesus healed, but it wasn't Jesus' main purpose in coming to earth, right? What was his main purpose? It, you know, the Corinthians passage, he became sin on our behalf, right? That we might become the righteousness of Christ. And I think what happens sometimes, this is a trap that we've gotta be aware of in ministry, is that, the compassion ministry of of caring for people, whatever they being sick or for you know down and out or whatever, th- those are important things that we do. But sometimes I think we fall in the trap of, well, that's that's it's easy compared to actually showing compassion and then proclaiming the gospel. We need to make sure that always stands in, in balance. We need to make sure that we we show compassion with with gospel intent. I, I wanna show the love that I have in my heart because of Christ, because I not only care about that person's physical issues, but I wanna be able to, to share Christ with them. I want them to know. I want them to know the truth. So there it is. There's the three aspects of, of Jesus' ministry. Teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and showing love, and compare, uh, compassion, care for other people. Can we all do that? Yes, yes we can. So there's a motive behind this and this gets even deeper into understanding how how we are to minister. Verse 36, it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So what motivated Jesus? Compassion is what motivated him. See what happened here is that Jesus looked out to the multitudes and he saw a dilemma. He saw a spiritual dilemma. They were, they were like the blind man in, in John nine before he was healed. They were blind, they could not see. Remember what he said after Jesus healed them? All I know, and they, were, they were questioning on who healed them and he says, all I know, I was once blind but now I see. Is that a beautiful picture of salvation? And right, so he's, he's feeling compassion to those that are lost in sin, that are lost in their depravity, that are blind. Uh, as Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2.1, that they're dead in their sins and transgressions. I mean, they are spiritually dead. It's, it's when, we, when we come to Christ, it's, us not, it's not us meeting God halfway. It's him coming down to our, our spiritual deadness and giving us life. And so he's looking upon them and and feeling compassion. And what blows me away about Christ's compassion for us is the fact that the sins that we commit, yeah, we sin against each other, but who are they ultimately against? They're against him. But yet he he in his his love for us wanting to to save us, to have a relationship with us, he of course goes to the cross and dies for us so that we can we could have fellowship with him that's boy I, I, I have a tough time wrapping my mind around that I mean when people offend us when people come after us we don't often take the, the path of the one trying to restore that relationship they usually put it on them right but but Jesus is is the one that that goes the whole nine yards here now this word compassion is, is a is a powerful word it it expresses uh, deep emotion, pain, in, and it's talking about in the in the bowels. Now it's kind of kind of gross. I think a little bit. Think about it. But you think about we always say I love you with all my heart, right? Well, the heart that is inside of you is not the same heart that Hallmark puts out, right? It's a little bit, you know, bloody muscle pumping pumping blood, right? Uh, and so he's, so Jesus is explaining his the level of his compassion with his his bowels it 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 it's internal it's deep you know i used to, when i was in my late teens early 20s i had had ulcers and oh, the pain i mean i would be curled up in a in a fetal position and every 3 months or so it would just it would just get this attack and i would have to go to the hospital and sometimes it was an extended hospital stay I had to get the proper medication but but the pain the pain was, I, I mean, I, to the point of wanting to just die. And I, and, I, and I thought about that as I was preparing. I was like, man, with the pain that Jesus felt towards others and how, how deep and how intense that it was. And he says that the people were distressed and dispirited. This word distressed has the idea of being battered, bruised, maligned, ripped apart, worn out, exhausted. That's what happens when a person is in a state of sin. Right? The reality of sin. No hope. No, no life. That's that's what it's like. You, you have some of you have testimonies that specifically talk about that, right? Outside of Christ, this is who I was. And it's a painful, painful thing. And then it says, dispirited. This is the, the idea of being thrown down, um, prostrated and and utterly helpless. Made me think of a, a person in war that maybe have lost their legs in battle and then they're just there in a, in a state of hopelessness, they can't do anything. They cannot do anything, big combat wound. And so Jesus is looking upon this group that, that stuck in this spiritual dilemma that, that are just exhausted and beat up and he says he, he looks on them and he's got compassion them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. You ever look at a non-believer and think, That's a sheep without a shepherd. That's a person that has been beat up and battered and is utterly helpless without Christ. There's no one there to lead and feed and protect them. That's that's a definition of a shepherd, by the way. It's a definition of a pastor, to be there to lead and feed and protect. And Jesus is looking at these people and they don't have that. All they have is the so-called leaders of the scribes and ph- Pharisees that only added to their burden, only put on unrealistic expectations for their, for their own gain and their own uh, personal benefit. Jesus kind of went after them a little bit, didn't they? Matthew 5, 15, 14, called them blind guides. You're a bunch of blind guides. And that happens today. It happens today with a, with a perverted, watered down, insufficient in, in gospel. That's what happens to the, the people out in the world that we need to have compassion for when they're, we're, they're being taught something that is less. When we preach the gospel, we gotta be truthful to the gospel. We gotta address that three letter word, and I think I, I say that every time I'm here, sin because that's the issue between God and man. It's not about them getting more peace or you know, feeling loved or all these things. It's, it's about addressing their sin because that's what stands be- between them and the Lord. We wanna feel compassion towards them by Christ. Let me clu- and conclude with this. We have a shortage of, of gospel workers. We had a shor- shortage of gospel workers back then. We have a shortage of gospel workers today. And Jesus gives us the solution for this. And it's beautiful. Look at um, verses 37 and 38. We need more people out there doing the work. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So big harvest. Uh, There's like eight million people in Washington, right? There's almost four million in Oregon. There's not nearly enough pews to fit all those people, right? So it's a big, big harvest. A uh, lot of soul winning work to be done out there. And so Jesus has, has the solution. What does he say? Does he say hire more staff? No, he says pray. And he says pray to me. Pray that you would beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into the harvest to do the work. Pray to Christ to, to raise up more individuals. Has anyone ever watched that um, the movie uh, War Room? It's the one that came out here. And at the end of the movie, she's praying, and she says, raise them up, Lord, raise them up. That's exactly what, what's going on here. She's, she's, she's being obedient to, to what Christ is saying here, pray. Pray that we get more soldiers on the ground to go out and and do this fine work of of telling these distressed and dispirited people about Christ. Great principle, pray first, pray first, pray first. Involve the Lord. God can raise up workers. He's got the provision, he's got the power He's got all the keys to the shortage. We might be able to be strategic and think through a whole bunch of things ourselves, but, but pray first, and then see, see, see how he starts pulling things together. Now, it's interesting. I wanna give you a warning with this prayer. I encourage you to pray this prayer, but here's, here's the warning, and it's a good warning. What happens often when we start to pray that type of prayer? Who who ends up getting called to do the work? Ourselves, right? Look at verse 10. And, and this I'm just gonna give you one verse, but if you go through the 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 chapter 10, you see that the whole calling of the disciples. He's telling them to, to beseech him for more workers, and then it says verse 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 one of chapter 10: Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them the authority over clean spirits to cast out demons, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. All right, they got a job. They prayed and they got a job. And it it explains how they went out. Pretty cool. Got a shortage of workers in the Northwest. One of my board members for Sports Outreach Northwest lives down in California. And he, he tells me all the time, I can throw a rock and hit a solid church. We don't have that in the Northwest sporadic, solid churches that are, that are following this type of model. We need to be praying for more pastors to be raised up. We need to be praying for more evangelists to be raised up. We need to be willing to take this charge ourselves. And, and if there's a conviction of our heart to, to get to work, to be trained. You train them, Jeff? Yes, he'll train you to get you out there doing this wonderful, wonderful work. See, the people here in Edgewood, the people here in Washington, the people here in the Northwest are are without a, their sheep without a shepherd to guide them. We need to teach them about the Lord. We need to proclaim the gospel to them. We need to show them that we love and care for them. It's not about nickels and noses. It's not about growing the size of this church. It's about sharing truth. We need to be motivated by compassion. If you feel like you have a lack of compassion, pray for that compassion. Pray that the Lord would change your heart. You know, it's interesting, and I'll just close with this this story. Is I felt called to into ministry pretty much from from the moment I I came to Christ. And there was a long process of, of from when I felt that calling to being trained and, and ready to, to go out into, into the church plant. That's what I felt I was called to do, to be able to preach and, and to proclaim the gospel. And so for, I don't know, probably a period of three or four years, I started praying for the workers. And, it, and, and I, I, I can't tell you that it was because of this passage because it wasn't, I just had a heart to, to start to pray for the people that I would be serving with and ministering with and evangelizing with and so we we went out to the small community in in Banks, Oregon, about 1,700 people within the within the community. We started a Bible study with five people. A week later, that uh, group grew to three. We lost a couple just after a week. Within six months, we had seven people, and then we finally went to Sunday mornings. And within a couple years, we had about 55 families in a small rural community, and a lot of people were were coming to faith. But but I would sit in church. I'd sit in the front row, and I'd see the worship leader up there. I would see our elders. I would you know, see the different workers. I would go out and we would do evangelism and I had to have a team and I was just so humbled because I just remember always thinking, I prayed for you. I prayed for you to be part of this. I didn't know who you were. I didn't know who you were. Didn't have a, a picture in my mind. I didn't have a name, but I just prayed and the Lord honored that that prayer. He provided what we needed to be able to accomplish that that ministry. And so I share that just simply to encourage you to take this message and and I would ask that the only conviction that you really leave with today is this to pray. To start by praying, to get on your knees and to pray and say, Lord, we have a great need in the Northwest to be able to saturate this 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 area with the glorious gospel and and Lord, just raise them up, raise them up, to do this this fine fine work, Amen. Amen. All right, let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for. I thank you so much for the gospel, and I thank you, Lord, that you just didn't stay here to to do all the work for us to sit there and, and watch you. That you didn't. That you had a plan with these men that you called and to send out into the the Roman. A hostile Roman world, and and Lord, I thank you that nothing has changed. That the model is not broken. That the model is not changed. That the model doesn't need to be adapted. That that it's the same thing, the same thing that's always been: teaching and preaching and proclaiming you, and loving and caring for others, and being motivated by just the 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 state of depravity in people's lives. And Lord, I thank you that we can come to you and and pray and ask you for for help. Lord, I ask you right now that you would, you would raise up men and women throughout this Northwest that, that, that would be used by you to go and do the finest, finest work of all and that of, that of just sharing with the world uh, the greatest message of all time, that, you're, that you sent your son to this earth to die in our place, that we might have life and have it eternally. We praise you, Father, in your holy name. Amen.